Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I am Meg, and today Connie, the rare Furby collector, <laughs> is going to tell us all about Sean Sellers. <laughs> I had a Furby growing up, but man, those things are so creepy. Dude, one Christmas, I asked everyone for a Furby and I got five. Everyone got me one. It was awesome. They manage that. I don't know. That's what my <clears throat> my dad had said. They're kind of hard to get right now. You might want to like, you know, ask both grandparents. But I was just like, everyone, I want one. They all got them. I was, mm. roll- I was rolling fat in Furbies. I wish I would have kept them. That's how I was with the Princess Diana Beanie Baby. <laughs> Yes, Britannica. Oh, too bad that was the biggest scam in the history of the United States. Did you see Beanie that, Babies? That video from like 1998 where the couple is like splitting up their huge pile of Beanie Babies in divorce. divorce proceedings. Oh man, my mom when they moved out of their house recently, they brought stuff down from the attic, and it was like a bunch of Beanie Babies. So my mom's like, look. These may be worth some money. And my dad is like, they're not worth money, Marge. <laughs> like, they're not worth money. I was like, it was a scam. They got us. <laughs> they did. They it's a us. huge scam. So if you got scammed as a child with Beanie Babies, we can start a support group. Just holler at your girl. I still have the McDonald's ones. The like little ones you got in your Happy Meal. I have some of those spread around the house, but I think they're like new because they're from the children. Oh, yeah. They did do new ones recently. I forgot about mm-hmm. that. I got the seal. It was cute. My, this is really, this is a hard digression. Sorry. Yeah. You know, my my sons call stuffed animals plushies. And I just think that's, they're one step away from like a. Like a furry. A furry. <laughs> <laughs> so we try to limit those around here. By all means, let your freak flag fly. I don't judge, but I don't want you to call them plushies. Just a little cringy. But I digress. Tonight, we are going to have more open discussion regarding the death penalty. So this is a case that really polarizes a lot of people, myself included. And I'm really excited to like share my thoughts about this as well as hear your feedback, Meg, and all of our listeners in the coming week because this one's a little crazy. So that being said, Sean Sellers was born on May 18th, 1969 to 16-year-old Vonda. His dad was an unstable alcoholic by the name of Rick Sellers. His parents divorced when he was around two or three. I got conflicting information from all the different sources, so I just did a roundabout age. Um, His mom soon found love with truck driver Paul Bellafato. Sean lived with his grandparents a lot during his childhood because his mom was often on the road with Paul. By the time Sean was 16, he had moved over 30 times. He struggled. Yep. As many kids would with his mom being gone. He lived in a small town and struggled with the fact that no one in his no one in his family had the same last name as him. And he said that when you're eight, like no one wants to be different and having a different last name made him different. And like he didn't like that, which yeah, valid. When he was eight, his mom and stepdad moved him to Los Angeles to live with them. And making the move from a small town in Oklahoma to LA was a huge adjustment. That's some culture shock there. Oh, yeah. 
He said that the school he went to was as big as his entire town, and he was bullied constantly. He was, for the first time, scared to go to school. While living there, he spent a lot of time with his stepdad's aunt, who apparently, she lived in an apartment where kids were not allowed. So, like, he couldn't yell. He couldn't run. It was very, like, just sit still, be quiet type situation. He would later say that during his time in Los Angeles, he was molested by an older relative, but he wouldn't name the man who did it. I want to speculate and say that the only people I heard talked about as far as like relatives were his stepdad and the aunt's husband. Mm -hmm. And he really liked his stepdad. So I don't think it was him. So take from that with what you wish. And he just said that he didn't like going to the apartment. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm with you. He said that this man forced him to perform oral sex on him. And he carried around a lot of anger following this, rightfully so. In addition to this, the fact that he moved so often and he was never in an area long enough to make friends or have stability led to like a lot of animosity. His mom was very stern with her punishments. She would smack him in the face, use belts to spank him. Um, He would later say that his mom would hit him with hairbrushes, wooden spoons, whatever she had in her hand at the time, which you and I have had this conversation a lot, even recently about spanking and how I think our parents spanked because their parents spanked. And it's taken kind of this change of like, you change the way you're thinking. And I feel like our generation is one of the first ones to be like, wait a second. This is like not. <laughs> that seems awful. Counterproductive. That's the worst. Yes. I don't want that anymore. He said that he hated his mom as much as he loved her. And those are some very strong feelings for a young boy. When he was 12, he was living with an aunt and uncle back in Oklahoma. And he was humiliated constantly. This uncle was awful. His name was never stated, um, but Sean would wet the bed sometimes. I wonder why. mm -hmm. And he was made to wear like pull-ups at night because sometimes he would wet the bed. And if he wet the bed twice in a a row, his uncle would make him put the pull-up on his head. Ew. Exactly. Like it's, it's like you're adding all of these things that are so unnecessary. And he's probably, actually, I don't want to say probably, he it would be embarrassed enough by the fact that he's 12 and this is what's happening to him. It's not like he's choosing to do it. Yeah, if he was choosing to do it, then he probably wouldn't. He was described as a very intelligent boy who did well in school, but became increasingly more detached from reality. Sean really liked Dungeons and Dragons. Same, Sean. Yes. (laughs) Um, That is one of the reasons that that drew me to this case. Uh, They... Later on, it will be brought up often how he lived in this fantasy world and how he played Dungeons and Dragons often. And I feel I was like, that sounds normal. Maybe it's not normal to play it, but I got a I got a husband in the other room who plays once a week. So I mean, what do we know? So when Sean was 13, his stepdad's nephew came to live with them. His name was Steven. He was 18. And Sean was really like impressed by him he steven participated in martial arts uh was a big fan of ninjutsu was a big fan of everything military related uh sean's stepdad spent a lot of time talking to steven and like seemed to really enjoy hanging out with him so sean started imitating him he started getting into ninjutsu and he started talking about mm, is it ninjutsu because that's what the ninja turtles do 
No, it's literally called ninjutsu. <laughs> like, <Okay. it's, laughs> look, I I've thought, only heard it in Ninja Turtle form. Yeah, I looked it up because I was like, I kept thinking spinjutsu, like the ni- Lego Ninjago. <laughs> and I was like, this can't be the same thing. This was the 70s and 80s. Okay, so a little background. It is not a defensive form of martial arts. It's literally like assassins, which makes sense with the Ninja Turtles. So there it goes. That's what you kept saying. You said it twice. And it was just like Ninja Turtles. That's what the, is that real? Yeah. <laughs> I was. Yeah. I let it slide once, but I had to ask the second time. I'm yeah. Sorry. It's, it's uh guerrilla warfare, which what did the Ninja Turtles do? Guerrilla warfare. Rightfully so. They had to hide. They were turtles, for God's sake. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. We digress. Uh, So Sean started acting like Steven so Paul would spend more time with him. He said, hey, this is what he likes. This is what I'm going to like. He did say, so other than asking Paul asking Sean to help with things around the house, they didn't have much of a relationship. He did say Paul was never abusive towards him. He just didn't seem to like spending time with him, which is sad. It is sad. But also back to like how our parents parented. I feel like a lot of time that's dads because this would have been like our parents' parents. Yeah. It absolutely, I mean, I can only speak from experience, but like my dad watched a lot of movies and read a lot of books and not with me. <laughs> and, I love my daddy's awesome, but. And I think a lot of it is their parents, you know, like. Yeah. But you're right. So you do what you know. Sean is our parents' age. Was mm, our parents. Yeah. So it's like I don't remember seeing my grandpa hang out with my mom. You know, like it's yeah. Parenting's changed, and that's a good thing. It, it is. It always it changes for the better. Mm-hmm. So he was staying with his aunt and uncle again while his parents were back on the road, and his uncle was still making fun of him, telling him like how dumb it was he was spending his money on these ninjutsu classes and like that it was a waste of time. And I guess his ninjutsu instructor got his jaw broken walking out of a bar, so he was getting made fun of. Because <laughs> I'm like, it's not even his fault. So, like I said, this is not a self-defense martial arts. It's the art of like ninja assassination. <laughs> and he was reading book after book, and he said the books were pictures, diagrams on how to kill somebody and just how to do it without like feeling anything. And when he was 14, he went to see First Blood, first Rambo movie. Yeah. And His dad talked about how it was a sign of strength to be able to kill someone and not be affected by it, just like he did when he was in Vietnam. Because, you know. Oh, I was like, what? Daddy's (laughs) telling their kids this. Yeah. Well, he was associating someone and not be affected by it. (laughs) He, Paul even went as far as like making fun of the scene where Rambo breaks down is like having a rough time with it. He said, that's not how it is. That's not how it's supposed to be. Because, again, he's a Vietnam veteran. Which brings all of this circle because that's how – obviously, he wasn't. You could say you're not affected by those things, but unless you're a psychopath and he – his dad did not seem – his stepdad did not seem to be a psychopath. It's just their – that's their mentality. That's how yeah. they were, you know, their – Yeah. they. It's their masculinity. That's yep. what it – no fragile masculinity. Mm-hmm. So clearly he's having a stellar childhood and he, this couldn't be a recipe for disaster, right? The end. No, just kidding. So when he was 15, things really seemed to turn around for him. His parents once again moved him. This time it was to Colorado. It was here that he felt 
truly happy for the first time. He was making friends. He joined the Civil Air Patrol, from which, from what I read, is like a JROTC, but just for the Air Force. Cool. He was cool. the co- cadet commander of his squadron. He felt like he had a purpose. Like I said, he was making friends. Yeah, he's doing things. He stopped being obsessed with all the weird ninjutsu stuff like that he was doing before. But it wasn't long before his parents moved him again. And he begged to stay in Colorado. He didn't want to go back to Oklahoma. He just wanted to stay where he was because he was happy. But his parents. Why are they moving so much? You know, it doesn't say, and I'm very sketched out by that. Yeah, you just, it seems weird that you're just constantly, like, maybe I don't know a if job it's because, or something. Yeah, but. I don't know if it's because he's a truck driver, if he's, like, going to different, mm. like, places. Um, I, don't, I, I wasn't sure. It didn't really say. Okay. So now he's back in Oklahoma. He's hating his life. He doesn't like it there. He's angry all the time. He stopped trying to make friends. He said he would just do his schoolwork, not talk to anyone. And it was... Then that he began to research and learn about the occult. He apparently met a witch. He started researching black magic. He developed a huge interest in Satanism because to him, his family claimed to be Christians, but the way that they lived was closer to Satanism. He was mad at God. He said he didn't feel protected. Everything that he ever wanted was taken from him. He wanted the freedom to control his life. And he said that's what being a Satanist promised him. He didn't see the big deal with it because the way he had been raised, his mom had like brought him condoms at age like 13. He watched his parents steal things out of the trucks that they drove. He watched family members like smoke weed and do like amphetamines. He was beat often. He was humiliated and ridiculed daily. He's like, these people aren't Christians. Like this is how like Satanists live and this seems like fun. So this is what I'm going to do. Why should they serve God? Why should I serve God when Everyone around me is acting like this. Yeah. So he starts performing satanic rituals. And according to him, he had always heard voices inside of his head since the time he was a little kid. That's, that's your, part. Of, I was like, is that like your inner, like that's you thinking or like, like different personality voices? Well, according to him, and we'll get into it more here in a little bit, but that's part of the reason why he didn't report being molested because he heard these voices in his head and eventually over time it made it seem like that's what he wanted to happen. So he was just like, okay, I'm this is a me thing. This is anyone else. It's me. Okay, that's sad. Yeah, it's very sad. And another parenting thing, as if a child is constantly told how wrong they are, if the things that they're doing, like everything is wrong, everything is your fault. That is what their inner voice is going to turn into. It's not going to be like a, hey, I can do this. It's going to be a, why did you do this? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. that's the reaction they're constantly met with. Yeah, you're right. As he started doing these satanic rituals, the voices in his head, apparently their tone changed. And he thought it's probably the demons because the demons are going to be doing the devil's work for me. Not a big deal. This is normal. They should change their tone. I should expect this. He thought the rituals would be the tools that he needed to control his own life. He would later say that he began to have blackout periods where he couldn't remember what he had been doing. He started to feel very cold and angry towards his mom. And because of her, by proxy, he felt the same way towards his stepdad. He said that he felt this coldness and like he was numb towards everything. He didn't like the way he was feeling. So he tried to get out. He said, I don't I don't want to feel angry all the time. So he did what his religion had taught him, 
prior. He called a Christian prayer line. He was talking to a Catholic priest. He also went to a Christian prayer meeting. But according to Sean, no one could help him because he sold his soul to Satan and he was doomed. He thought, I'm either going to go to hell because I've been a hypocrite, can't believe in God and worship Satan, or I'm going to go to hell where Satan rules and I'm going to rule over all of these hypocrites. And I want to be a ruler. So he's like, I'm going to dive deeper into the occult. And unfortunately, that's what he did. Get it, Sean. He told his mom, his drama teacher, and his best friend that he thought he was going crazy. His best friend, Richard Howard, who was also involved in the occult and Satanism. And I should add, all of these feelings about the occult are coming from this case specifically. I know, Meg knows, you can believe in these things and not be mass murderers. So And not feel like the way yeah, this guy's feeling. Exactly. This is a specific situation. And a lot of times people will use this type of religion to further their own like psychotic agenda. Yeah, and it's any religion, really. They Any religion. Yeah. yeah. The, without getting too political, any religion. Just read the newspaper. <laughs> so Richard and Sean, they started talking about doing horrific things together. They talked about like abducting and raping women, like how they could kill someone, how they would torture them. They talked about killing Richard's girlfriend and then they turned it. <coughs> Sorry. Then they turned it to killing Richard's girlfriend's dad because at some point he had caught them on the phone together and he hit her. So they're like, yep, this is what we're going to do. So one night, Richard and Sean, they do a satanic ritual in Richard's side yard, which can you can you imagine just looking Honestly, out the window? Honestly, it all and sounds being... kind of dorky. Like they're like, yeah, let's kill her. And then they're like, wait, no, I love her. Let's kill her dad. Yes, like, let's do a let's ritual go to in the, the backyard. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it doesn't stay dorky and innocent, yeah, I, and that's I know, the I know, yeah, I'm and sorry. that's the worst. No, that's the worst part. Is I could my kids are weird. We were weird. We, yeah, were, we were weird. weird. We would go hang out with people and, and cheer them on as they played D and D. This could have been, you know, like the normal dorky kid stuff. Like there always has to be the people that take it a step you too take far. Take it too far. You took it too far, and then the rest of us who like D and D and re researching the occult and believe in magic, this is what happens. But I digress. <sighs> so they do this ritual in the side yard and they're like wait a second richard tells sean we're gonna kill robert bauer who's robert bauer he's the local circle k convenience store clerk who richard tried to buy beer from one night and he's like 15 16 so robert was like no like you can't get out of here you shoe but to him to Richard, that was a good enough reason for him. So he went inside. He got his grandpa's 357 revolver, his brother's 22 rifle, and then the plan changes because Sean's going to kill Robert Bauer. Richard's going to kill Al Hawks, which is the girlfriend's dad. And then that way they each have killed somebody and they can't tell on each other ever because they're both guilty. You know, teenage boy <laughs> mentality, stupid shit. <laughs> Oh, man. So on September 7th, 1985, Richard and Sean head into the Circle K where they hang out with Robert for over an hour. They bought fountain drinks. They're making small talk. 
They're like, hey, why don't you have any cameras? Aren't you worried someone's going to come in here and rob you or murder you? And they laugh as they're asking this when he's like, no, there's only $50 in the cash register. The rest of the money's in the safe. No one's going to come in here and rob for $50. Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Mm-hmm. A few customers come in and out, and then they're like, hey, Robert, come check. We just put a new clutch in Richard's car. Come check it out. So he goes out there, and Richard's like, it's time. Literally, that's what they said. They're like, it's time. They decide they're going to make the sacrifice to Satan, their words, not mine, to prove to them that they were serious about them worshiping him. So Richard and Robert head back into the store. Sean gets the gun on his way back in. He said that he stops and he's like, maybe I can't do it. But then he hears these voices in his head calling him weak and a coward. And he's like, nope, I can do this. So he said he blinked and it's if someone else was controlling the situation. He walked back in. Cold and heartless, not caring. Richard distracts Robert by holding something up in the aisle. He's like, hey, how much was this? Robert is drinking a coffee. He turns to look and Sean shoots him. Shoots at him, I should say. I was like, in the face? Where did he shoot him? He misses chases Robert down throughout the store. Robert had grabbed, you know, the thick uh, coats that they wear to stock the freezer section. Yeah. So he picks that up and he's trying to hide behind it. A coat? He's trying to hide behind a coat? I mean, that's okay. You're right. He's being chased. He's being chased. And it's it gives a broader target. Like, you know, there's not... He's being attacked I, by... Yeah. Which, whatever you got, man, I, I understand. Sean fires two more shots at a terrified Robert who was trying to take refuge behind this jacket. The final shot proved to be fatal and the two boys left Robert laying in the aisle of the store and they were laughing as they left. Ew. Richard tried to open the cash register for this $50 to make it look like a robbery, but he was unable to do so. (laughs) Sean later recounted that when they got in the car, they were both laughing like, holy shit, I can't believe that we just did that. We just killed somebody. Sean had told Richard in the beginning of the night that he just wanted to kill someone because he wanted to know what it felt like. Reminds me of the scream murders. Mm-hmm. That so far, same thing. But now remember, they were both going to kill someone, right? Mm-hmm. But after this, Richard was like, "No, let's just go back to my house." You know what? I'm good. I got my fill watching I'm you. I'm good. Is fine. So Richard goes back, puts the gun right back where it was. They take the bullets out. Sean said that he was proud of what he did and like that he wanted part of him wanted to tell his dad because he knew he would be proud of him because he had talked so many times about how easy it was just to kill someone. He said that when he murdered Robert, he felt superior to everyone else, that he had this secret knowledge that he had the inner strength to kill someone and no one else knew it besides him and Richard. Him and Richard stayed friends. Sean even tried to move into his house when things got really bad at home. Just his mom and him were fighting more. Mm-hmm. Sean got a new girlfriend. Her name was Angel. And that was her actual name, which like, I know it doesn't matter, but <laughs> it's ironic. The whole, <laughs> yeah, the whole satanic thing made it very ironic. So his mom hated Angel because she was a 15 year old high school dropout with no direction. And I think Angel reminded her of herself because she was 15 when she got pregnant with Sean. Oh, and she, okay. Mm-hmm. She's like, this isn't going to end well. Yep. Sean and his mom fought even more. She would call Angel names like whore, bitch, little tramp, like very ugly names to call a teenage girl. So I don't like that. I understand. Just be like, sorry, she can't come over. 
Yeah, I understand wanting to protect your child for making the same mistakes that you did, but at a certain point, that's not my bat. Like, you gotta just let it go. <laughs> just that. <sighs> after one night, they had after one like, they had a big fight. He packed all of his stuff because his mom's like, "Fine, if you don't like it here, you can get your shit and get out." And he's like, "Okay." Like, I will. So he packed all of his stuff. His parents left to go with friends and he moved all this stuff out to be to move in with Richard. But he goes to work. His stepdad comes in and is like, hey, you really just need to come home. You don't need to move out. Just come home. He took the keys to his truck and was like, you just get your ass home. His mom wanted to send him to California to live with his real dad, but his stepdad was not having it. He said no. And that's why I think that even though he had this warped sense of like way of thinking about like Vietnam and think, I think he was the solid voice of reason that he had. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. my <laughs> I had like a weird thing in my throat. I apologize. That's weird. Going on. It's okay. I think I'm going to choke and die. <laughs> Please don't. I don't want to do a podcast episode about our recording our podcast episode and you dying. That could get some views though. For sure. For sure. Okay, anyways, back to back to what I was saying. So things just keep getting bad for Sean and his mom. They had a physical altercation over Angel. His mom tried hitting him like she always did, but he's bigger than her now. So he pushed her away. It was like, not yeah. today. But unfortunately, it was at this moment where he's like, I'm going to kill my mom. Oh, geez. He bought rat poison, literally gave her three coffee cups full of it, did nothing, which I was like, <laughs> mom parties, I think. <laughs> yeah, something. Maybe it was like, like, I don't know, like non-effective on humans or like non-lethal. Yeah, foods. maybe it's like this. It's like safe, you know, <laughs> uh, on, so on the night of March 5th, 1986, he snuck into his parents' bedroom before they went to bed, and he stole the 44 revolver out of the bedside table. He hid it in his room. He went back out and hung out with his family. He was spent the evening talking to his stepdad about how his stepdad was really excited to rebuild the engine of his pickup truck. Like, they were going to rebuild it together. Okay. Um, his parents go to bed. Sean performs a satanic ritual in his bedroom. He gets undressed down to his underwear, and then he heads to his parents' room. He walks in, and trigger warning, it's a little brutal. He raises the gun to his stepdad's head, and he shoots Paul point blank in the head. Whoa. He immediately follows the first shot with a shot to his mother's head. He says that she sat up like a crane, so he shot her again. He said that as blood went everywhere, he laughed again, just like he had prior. Then, as calm as can be, he sets the gun down, goes to his room, takes a shower, arranges the scene to look like his house had been broken into. He said that he was in his underwear because he knew how much blood sprayed from his first murder and he didn't want it to get on his clothes. <laughs> okay. So he leaves, heads to good old trusty Richard's house and tells him, hey, I just murdered my parents. So they devise a plan that Sean could act like he found the bodies the next day, like that he was just staying at Richard's house. He goes home and this is the scene that he finds. Sean would later say that he instantly felt like a weight had been lifted off, lifted off his shoulders when he killed his mom and that he didn't want to have to kill his stepdad, but he had to because the two of them were together and that he didn't think of it like a murder, but he thought of it simply as removing an obstacle that was in his way to freedom. Yeah. You raise these kids. 
Yep. Not well, but you do. <laughs> and I'm sure if you couldn't tell by the fact that Richard never actually murdered anyone, he didn't stay quiet for very long. Yeah. Sean was arrested a few days later and confessed to not only the murders of his parents, but also the murder of Robert Bauer. So would that one... They just didn't know. They just thought someone tried to no, break in. No, they just thought they're not going to think it's two 15-year-old boys who were just in there hanging out. And there's no cameras. And they took everything with them. Sheesh. Richard was arrested as well. And they tried charging him also with first-degree murder. But the state dismissed it. They wouldn't have it. And he was given a five-year suspended sentence in exchange for him turning state's evidence and testifying against Sean. Which he accepted the deal, of course. What's a suspended sentence? So that means like you don't actually serve. Oh, okay. It's like, I'm, it's pretty much like probation from what, oh, yeah. Okay. And other than Richard's testimony, they didn't have any forensic evidence to link him to especially Robert, Robert Bauer's murder. So he was like, hey, look, this is the gun that he did it with. See? <laughs> uh. So the defense immediately tried using his Satanism is like, hey, he's not guilty by reason of insanity. He thinks he's possessed by a demon um, by the name of Ezerate. And that's whose voice he heard. That's why he killed his parents. That's why he killed Robert Bauer. His attorneys also tried saying that he was influenced by, by his addiction to the game Dungeons and Dragons, which, like I said, I'm calling bullshit on that one because my husband plays often. He's not killing anyone. We had so many friends in high school who were like the most gentle inner souls they may be like assholes sometimes but like they're very gentle people they're playing just because you have this like sense of altered sense of reality that doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna go out and murder people and again defense is like the i get why they're using them because they do a, a <laughs> they lot. just they gotta find something yeah unfortunately for sean the trial began in 1986 so the sentence the Sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole, it was not an option in Oklahoma. Life in prison was 15 years, period. Oh, in the 80s? Is it still like that? Probably not. Oh, no, it changed in 1987. Oh, cool. Because of this, I bet. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about the trial real quick and the way it was handled because I think it's very important. And the big picture of mental health and the fact that he's only 16. I know he's making big decisions, but he's a 16-year-old boy. The jury was not instructed that Sean's age was a mitigating circumstance, but they were asked to decide whether his age was a mitigating factor, meaning the jury wasn't instructed to consider his that maybe his age was the reason he didn't fully comprehend what he was doing, but it was supposed to be considered that maybe because of his age, the sentence should be less. Okay, fair. The judge didn't allow testimony that a juvenile it, they're not that juveniles are developmentally different than adults because he assumed that this was something the jurors already knew and there didn't need to be a presentation about it. But the prosecution was allowed to introduce the idea that as soon as Sean picked up the gun, he became a man and was able to run with that narrative. Um, the prosecutor said, quote, he's only 17 because by the time of the trial, he was 17. Yeah. But when he picked up that 357, he became a man and he walked out and he blew Robert Paul Bauer away. And when he picked up that 44, he became a man again and he walked in and he blew Lee and Fonda Belafato. Lee was the nickname for his stepdad. Mm -hmm. Into another world. He's acted like a man and he's going to have to stand up here like a man. 
Okay. Very, very dramatic. Yeah. The jury also wasn't counseled ahead of time that the life term of 15 years, they had to serve 15 years before parole could be granted because the newspapers were reporting that if he got 15 years, he would only at the most serve half. So they weren't given the option of finding him first degree. They weren't given given the option of finding him guilty of first degree manslaughter if they had any doubts that he was capable of making these plans for first degree murder at his age. So to the jurors, they had two options, find him guilty on three counts of first degree murder or acquit him. So on October 2nd, 1986, the jury found him guilty and Sean Sellers became the youngest person since the reintroduction of the death penalty in 1976 to be sentenced to death because the jury felt they couldn't risk public safety by him maybe being released in five to seven years because they weren't properly counseled on the 15-year thing. What a mess. Yeah. So, the, like I said, the sentence allowing him for life without the possibility per, for parole came literally a year later. And just another, like, fun not fun fact, the United States has executed more inmates who were juveniles at the time of their crimes than any other country in the world combined. We do that a lot. It's just that a lot with things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's always the most. Uh... So this is where I have the issue with it. So in March of 1987, Sean Sellers was examined by Dr. Dorothy Lewis. She's a professor of psychiatry. She found him to be chronically psychotic, exhibiting symptoms of paranoid schizophrenia and other major mood disorders. She described how he was in poor touch with reality at times and he was overwhelmed by fantasy. And the response from the prosecutor was, quote, I think this is just another one of his attempts to escape the death penalty. I guess we should have anticipated he'd come up with something like this multiple personality thing. <laughs> like this multiple personality. Like, how is he going to come up with that? You know, she's obviously well trained Mm -hmm. she's gone to school she knows what she's talking about oh but wait there's more in prison he was dubbed the demon child that's what other inmates called him he reached out to anyone who would listen all major media outlets as to why like he shouldn't he did he felt like he shouldn't be sentenced to death he did an oprah episode regarding it he spoke openly about satanism and why he was a reformed Christian after being in prison, but no one believed him, which Was he on Oprah or did he just Yeah, he was on Oprah. <laughs> okay. I don't know if like she had to go and get interviewed with him or they let him just go to the show. Oh, no, like he wasn't on the show. It was like an interview. Okay. He I get why people weren't believing the whole reformed Christian thing. You can't like you can't drive home the satanism thing and then be like just kidding. I'm also a Christian now. (laughs) FYI. I guess you can, but I can see where there would be doubts. In 1992, three mental health professionals diagnosed Sean with multiple personality disorder. The three doctors found that a QEEG, which is a quantitative electroencephalogram test. So it's like a big, pulled in the big dung. Big dogs, dogs. Big dogs. <laughs> they it disclosed that Sean has had brain damage as a result of a head injury suffered as a child. You know, maybe equivalent to all the smacks in the head with wooden objects. Yeah. No. Oh man. Yeah. It dr- it dramatically changed the test. Dramatically changed with each of his altered states, including or in. Sorry. With each of his altered states indicating the presence of at least three alter personalities. And 
evoked potential test, which relies upon biological signs from the body and cannot be falsified, confirmed the say like confirmed the results from the QEEG. Mm-hmm. Two of the doctors separately spoke to two of Sean's altered personalities. One was named Danny, who demonstrated that he was left-handed, even though Sean was not. Um, and quote, the controller. The controller. Is, mm-hmm. Sean suffered from multiple personality disorder at the time of the killings. It showed that one of the altered personalities, which is unlikely to have understood the difference between right and wrong, quote, must have been in executive control of his person or body at the times. There was only limited awareness of multiple personality disorders in the mental health community at the time of the trial, which these type of tests hadn't been developed yet, which is why like they couldn't bring this up. And it's often a hidden disease, which is true. And it takes a number of years to confirm. So you're not going to f- figure this out in the first one session. year. Yeah. Yep. He submitted many, many appeals. And in 1995, his final appeals were exhausted when the Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals ruled that his right to raise the claim of multiple personality disorder had been waived because it could and therefore should have been raised at the time of the trial. So pretty much saying he, you didn't use it back then. So too little, too late. What, that is bullshit. Yeah. And it said that the evidence did not fall under the category of newly discovered, which would have been allowed for a successful appeal so <sighs> yeah the experts okay, well, were the like case was a mess <laughs> mm-hmm. the trial was a mess he this went all the way to the supreme court and they were like no it got to the point of governor keating keating at the time was the only person who had the power to like grant like a pardon mm-hmm and he said multiple times, that's not what he did as a governor. Like he was, he would trust the Oklahoma judicial system. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hundreds a, of letters were such written. Such a Republican in, thing to do. <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of letters were written in support of like, because the thing is, Sean Sellers was never trying to get out of prison. He was trying to not be put to death. Not He's, die, yeah. He said many times like, it doesn't matter if I have multiple personalities. If one of them did it, I am still responsible. So he understood the lot. Like, and he, that's what he was trying to do. He was trying to have his sentence, like just commuting to life without possibility of parole. Yeah. So the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals said, even though his illness is such that he may be able to prove his factual innocence of those crimes, we believe he must be left to the avenue of executive clemency to perform or to pursue that claim. So that was Governor Keating. And he was like, nah, son. The, um, so the, like I said, the governor is reported to have previously stated he will not grant clemency to any condemned prisoner. He said that no murderer will receive clemency while he is in office. And he was correct. Two days before Sean's execution, he filed two more appeals. The first appeal made in federal district court accused the state pardon and parole board of violating his civil rights. He argued that the pardons, the pardon board's decisions were not impartial and were instead capricious. The appeal was denied. The second appeal was that the, they claimed that the state court like made a mistake by ruling seller ruling sean had waived his insanity claim at the trial just a bunch of shit yeah but he was he was 16 you know 
Like, yeah, he was. Yeah, how's he supposed to know that he can do that or that he should do that? So his execution was condemned by the European Union, Desmond Tutu, the American Bar Association, and their arguments were all the same. That like his age at the time of the crimes and, you know, like he was 16. Yeah. Which we have covered child murderers. I know it's possible. Like I, there are some I know. child murderers that, mm-hmm. like, yes, they are children. Sometimes I'm like, mm, like this person should never see the light of day again. In this Absolutely. instance, I, I do think s- he was like real, really had mental troubles. I think he needed something that I, was not prison. I think that there is no denying the acts that he committed were monstrous. Like you shot your parents in point blank range. You stated how you laughed about it. You were with it enough to know that you laughed about it. I don't necessarily think you should be like, oh, you're insane. That's fine. We'll, you know, put, I do think he should have spent his entire life in prison. I do not think yeah. he should have been executed for it because I'll be honest, there are plenty of other murderers that are, are adults. That's exactly. the same thing we have brought up like time and time again. It's there is if no you're not willing to make it across the board. If you can't exactly. apply it to everyone, then you shouldn't and apply it to anyone. Exactly. So on February 4th, 1999, Sean Sellers woke up. He had his last meal of Chinese food. He walked to the chamber where seven members of Robert Bauer's family and Sean's step-siblings waited. He addressed his step-sibs by saying, all the people that are hating me right now are here and waiting to see me die. When you wake up in the morning, you're not going to feel any different. You're going to hate me just as much tomorrow as you do tonight. When you wake up and nothing has changed inside, reach out to God and he will be there for you. Reach out to God and he will heal you. Let him touch your hearts. Don't hate all of your lives. I love you all. And then he looked at the warden and said, let's do it, Gary. Let's get it on. And he sang out Christian hymns as he was injected the lethal injection cocktail. Let's do it, Gary. Let's get it on. And I should add, this was, I didn't say this like when I was presenting like the murders. At the time, he was using like Adderall to stay up for days and then weed to like come down. So he had not slept in like two to three days when he murdered his parents. It doesn't make it any better. It's just. But it does make him crazier. It does. It does. I fully, I'm with you. I, you and I, I feel are, we have pretty big feelings about the death penalty in general. But if you're going to tell me that a 16 year old who shoots three people, I get it. Two of them were his parents. One of them was a random man who neither, none of them deserve to die. Like none of them did. That does not excuse what happened. But you have men who are admitting to raping and murdering multiple little children. And it's like, okay, you get 20 years in prison. Based on the the state that you're in, you don't have to. I just think that the death penalty, like it shouldn't be up to individual states to decide how they're going to do these things cuz you're going to get polar opposite things depending the same on way where that you we are we have like red and blue and you know like that's mm-hmm. how our system here works it's baloney i stand by unless you are going to do full mental evals i well now you can't sentence a child to, like you can't there are kids you can't, like in the united states like that passed in i think 2005 you can't sentence a child to death based off of crimes that they committed as a 
like that the juvenile. Until 2005? Oof. Yeah. But it's just uh, – it's insane to me that that would even be an option. I know there are little children – we see it. We've presented cases. There are children who are just born bad and there's their, nothing their brain, you can do. Their, their brain brains is, are broken. Yep. And I would go on a limb to say I don't even think those children should be put to death. No. That's, a, that's, for what? Who? Who is that going to help? No one. No. And I'm not saying you're going to reform them. And I understand that Americans have hard-earned tax dollars that they have to, you know, you have to, that's your, a lot of the excuses. My hard-earned tax dollars are the ones that are paying for these prisons. Your hard-earned tax dollars are paying for a lot worse shit. Spoiler alert. Like then. And honestly, when you, <laughs> when a death penalty is sentenced out, like tax dollars pay for all of those family members to go to those things. They pay for all the hotels. They pay for all the food they eat while they're there. They pay for um, any kind of extra law enforcement that has to come. It's not just like it pays for the sedative or whatever that they put into the system. It pays for everything that goes into it. It's like a whole it. experience. Like to like, execute one person costs like $30,000. And in the months leading up to it, the 60 days prior, the person is taken completely away from their place in like solitary. It's like this whole thing. So I get, I fully believe there are people who deserve to be executed. There are 100% I will sign up and be like, all right, sign me up. I'll take about for you. I get it. I'm not saying the death penalty should not be a thing because I do believe there are people who are fucking monsters who that's the only, that's what they need. Yeah. Yeah. But I do not believe a child should be sentenced to death. And when you have, and it's not even that, like it's not even the fact that he was sentenced to death. It's the fact that he had, so many things afterwards. It's like, hey, this is why he is the way he is. This is why he is the way he is. This is what needs to be done. And they were like, nah, too late. Sorry. And you can have Sorry. like, you can have conflicting feelings. You can have all the feelings on it. You can be like, yeah, he doesn't deserve to. Yeah, the death penalty sucks. But some people like that's okay. But you're right. Like if he had all of these, they dismissed the first lady. But then you have three more that like confirm it. You're like, eh, maybe we should look into some other options. And I think I would feel differently if the but whole it was time, Oklahoma, <laughs> the whole time, if he were like, uh, I need to be out of prison. Mm -hmm. I do think, especially with this diagnosis, was he uh, an extreme danger? Yeah, absolutely. Put him in a, a psych hospital, put, leave him in prison for the rest of his life. But you're, I don't know. Get him some treatment. I mean, I guess he was getting treatment probably in prison, which is good. It's just, it's, it's crazy to me that you turn around and then you have Richard who was, to me, he didn't pull the trigger, but he was just as guilty of killing Robert as Sean yeah. was. He was agging it on. He was like, they were talking about it. They were they planning it together. It. He gets a five-year suspended sentence because he turned evidence like plea deals i have such a piss-off mentality with plea deals i understand that they're necessary sometimes but i don't think they were even necessary in this case mm -mm. because it was I'm sure that evidence was there just saying um and he confessed he said i did this yeah right so why do you need to give the other kid a plea deal? Hmm. Ugh. If your argument's that strong that you can sentence this kid to life in prison or sentence him to death and not life in prison. And like to, 
the way the jury, like the way like they were so misinformed is gross. It's like yeah. they're like, oh, well, we have to sentence him to death because we don't want him out in five years. Like, what the hell? I I just don't. Like, and again, this is stuff the, go like, how does that happen? It's the 80s. <laughs> like we say that a lot. Though. It was the 90s. It was the 80s. But like those laws were still in place. They just didn't have, I don't know what, like the same kinds of. If you're from Oklahoma and you are more passionate about this case the opposite way, I mean, I will, I would love to hear your thoughts. I would love to humor you. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not going to agree with it, but I just, I, I will die on the hill of there needs to be some type of unison across the board. You can't just be picking and choosing who you decide is going to get put to death or who states decide. Yeah, that's insane to me. I mean, if you keep them in prison long enough, they are going to get the death penalty anyways. They're going to die. Yeah, it's true. And a lot of them die on death row anyways. He was on death row. I mean, he was 29 when he died. Yeah. He spent... It costs more to... I was going to say this too. I forgot. It costs more to do the death penalty than it does to keep a prisoner in jail for life. It costs more to do one death sentence than it does... For an entire life sentence. Mm. Do with that what you will. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure people will have big disagreements with us, but I'll be honest, I don't care because... Because it's our podcast. We can see yeah. what we want. <laughs> Get your own podcast. I just, it's so hard for me. And I i think of the person I was when I was 20. Granted, I was not out murdering people. But I think of even my altered mentality when I was 16, 17. I was 16 to 20 to 25. Like you're, yeah, it's a it's constant a- involving, you're, you're constantly evolving. And, and he obviously did not have a positive upbringing. I, and then you add that to mental health issues. I can't even brain damage. Yeah. I can't even imagine the person like I would have been had I not had like that support system. Yeah. Because I, I mean, I don't have multiple personality, but like I could have, I could have, I got a lot of stuff going on in this big old brain of mine. And it's sad to, it's actually kind of, it's sobering. It's sobering to see people who suffer from similar mental health issues that didn't have it as good. Yeah. The different, the different routes it could have taken because I, it's it's sad. It's very sad. You right. I want to know what people think. What? And then I think of uh, James Bulger. Yeah. Like his murderers, Robert Thompson and John Venables. But yeah, but they have new identities. They're free. That's what I was thinking. Like I think of them and I think of But we have to ha- like we have to realize too that one of those guys still sucks and one of them is okay. Mm-hmm. Like Yep. It is hit and miss. It is. It's just the outcome would have been way different had this taken place in like the UK or anywhere besides here. Yeah. <sighs> On that note, drop us a line. Let me know. <laughs> Let me know your thoughts on this. Come to the Instagram post. Tell us your things. Mm-hmm. Send us a DM if you don't want it to be that public or you if want you to say tell something me- rude so I don't yeah. block you. If you want to say, hey, Connie, I respectfully disagree. But only Emph- that. Emphasis on the respectfully because if you're rude, <laughs> I'm going to. Uh, yeah. You're going right. to catch that block. Yeah. <laughs> Or we're going to make fun of you for being rude to strangers on the internet. Cause yeah, get a life. Get a life. It's real, <laughs> it's real cringy. Uh, segue to be nice to strangers on the internet. That's it for today. Thank you all so much for listening to Gruesome True Crime with me, Connie. 
and Meg, we appreciate every single one of you. We truly do. If you actually like us and you're not just trying to seduce and murder us, you can follow along or see extras from the show on our Instagram at Gruesome Podcast. Or if you want to tell us our skin would make a nice lampshade, or if you have follow-up questions about the episode, follow the form on our website, gruesomepodcast.com, and email us. We love hearing from you guys. You can listen to Gruesome at the links listed on that website, or you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you normally get your podcast fill. Thank you again. Be sure to subscribe. Check your back seat before you get into your car. And remember that on Wednesdays, we're, we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye. Bye.